Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to the Healthy Gut Podcast with Rebecca Coombs, the place where you can learn how to achieve a happy, healthy gut. Here's what's coming up on today's show. Welcome to episode 79 of the Healthy Gut Podcast. Today we're joined by Dr. Leslie Mayers, who is a naturopathic doctor and a graduate of Bastia University in Seattle, Washington. She has been in practice for 10 years and specializes in GI conditions, women's health and fertility. She empowers her patients to care for their bodies, both the physical body and their soul. Dr. Mayers sees medicine as an art and utilizes a unique approach for each individual to encourage movement towards one's greater self within. She and her wife practice in Asheville, NC, seeing patients at their local clinic, Waterleaf Naturopathic Medicine, and she also sees them virtually via Skype. Today, Leslie and I are talking about the gut-brain axis and why our emotional well-being is so important to our gut health. We also talk about the link between serotonin production and the gut and how probiotics can help to increase the conversion of serotonin in the gut. Also, we talk about why we can get anxiety and a heightened nervous system when we have IBS, SIBO and other conditions. We also discuss the sympathetic versus the parasympathetic mode, or you might know them as fight or flight versus rest and digest. We talk about what are some of the physical differences that we can experience when we're in one or the other of these nervous system modes. And finally, we talk about why nourishing ourselves properly is such an important part of achieving self-love and self-worth. Now, if you would like to get today's show notes, head to thehealthygut.com forward slash podcast, and you will see today's episode and all other episodes from the Healthy Gut Podcast. And don't forget, guys, that you can get the free transcription from today's episode and all episodes in season two. All you need to do is sign up for free as a member of the Healthy Gut Podcast. When you head to my podcast page, you'll see a link there. You just need to put in your name and email address. You sign up and you get immediate access to the transcription. It's really handy to read along to the podcasts, particularly when we've done quite medical or technical podcasts and you can read along with it. It really helps when you've got a bit of brain fog as well. And I find that it helps me to remember the content of these podcasts. 
Now I'm really sad to say that season two is coming to an end. We'll be wrapping at the beginning of November. I'm really interested in knowing who you would like me to interview for season three and what topics you would like me to cover. This is your opportunity to really shape the content that you listen to. So head to thehealthygut.com forward slash podcast and you will see the quick survey I've put together for you to fill out for me. There's just a couple of questions. It will literally take you two minutes to fill in, but it will help me enormously as I go into planning mode for season three. And it also means you get to hear the content that you would like to hear. I'm so passionate about about bringing interviews that are really important for you. So do me a massive favor, fill out the survey, and I really look forward to bringing you some fantastic interviews in season three of the Healthy Gut Podcast, which will be airing in 2019. Welcome to the Healthy Gut Podcast, Dr. Leslie Myers. It's wonderful to have you on the show today. Thank you so much, Rebecca. Today we're going to be talking all about that kind of gut-brain axis and uh, some of the things we might not necessarily associate with gut health in terms of uh, you know how we're feeling with our brains and our moods and all the rest. Um, but before we dive into that, because it's such an interesting topic and something that's really close to my heart, I'd love for you to share with the listeners how you came to be a naturopathic doctor and uh, and why you've got a particular interest in gut health. Sure. Um, well, I just want to say thank you for having me first. And I just appreciate being on the podcast. And this is going to be a lot of fun. My pleasure. So I um, wanted to become a naturopath because, simply because I love to help people and be of service. And I've always been interested in medicine, medical anthropology, plant medicine. But one reason that I wasn't aware of when I went to naturopathic medical school in Seattle was that I wanted to heal myself. And I had fatigue and gut issues that I wasn't necessarily so in touch with. And as I went to medical school, the fatigue actually got better because I was fulfilling my purpose. And I was just happy to be surrounded by like-minded people. And, but my gut issues got much worse, actually. Um, it's a very hectic schedule. A lot of assignments, a lot of deadlines. You're in class all day on top of having to do a million things at home and on the weekends. So due to the stress of school, my gut health got a lot worse and I developed what most people would call IBS. Um, but in school, I learned a lot about diet and as I ate cleaner and had a healthier diet, the IBS got much better, but it didn't fully resolve until after school when I started to have more balance in my life. So now my, I have a practice in Asheville, North Carolina in the States and half of my practice is uh, gut health. 
And it's something that affects so many people, uh, both in the US, Australia, particularly the, uh, these westernised countries of ours that we just suffer so much. And it's such an interesting story uh, that you or journey you experienced, which is so common and very common with uh, many of the guests I've had on the show. Um, so many naturopathic doctors have gone into um naturopathy because they really wanted to uh, help others, but also they were experiencing some health concerns of their own and they were their first patient. (laughs) But stress is such a big factor in how our gut feels. Are you able to talk a little bit about just how that the role of stress impacts um, the state of our gut? Of course. Um, So on a physical sciencey level, the brain has 100 billion neurons and the gut has 100 million neurons. We call the neurons in the gut our second brain or our enteric nervous system. So the brain is the central nervous system or part of the central nervous system and the gut the gut nervous system is the enteric nervous system. Um, our microbiota that's in our gut, the good bacteria, is also a big contributor to the second brain and could be considered part of the second brain as well. Um, and it's hearing and feeding the, our, our real brain. Uh, so, so the two brains, as you might call them, uh, communicate back and forth. And the vagus nerve is one way they do that. It connects, it directly connects our brain to our gut. And when you're stimulated in the mind emotionally, that stimulates our gut. And when we have poor gut health, that stimulates our brain in different ways. And that is something that's called the gut-brain axis, as some of my listeners might have heard that expression. Yes, exactly. So if we are experiencing a lot of heightened stress and something that I see commonly amongst SIBO people that contact me is that they're, they're feeling very anxious, they're feeling very stressed, they're particularly stressed about their condition. Um, listening to you talk about the connection between the gut and the brain, are we just making things worse by worrying about how sick we are? Right. So, so having anxiety stimulates our sympathetic nervous system. So the central nervous system is made up of this sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system. Now, our sympathetic nervous system is the fight or flight nervous system. It's where you see the tiger and you run. Now, in ancient days, this was really important for us to have. And it still is important for us to have, you know, if we see a car coming at us on the street, we should run off the street, right? So our sympathetic nervous system in this scenario would send blood flow to the muscles and our limbs and to our brain to be sharp. Now, when it does that, it turns off the parasympathetic system, which is the part of our brain that is responsible for digestion. It's um, called rest and digest. So when we're calm and rested, our parasympathetic nervous system is turned on and we are making digestive enzymes from the pancreas. The stomach produces hydrochloric acid. The bile is secreted from the gallbladder. We have good digestive fire to properly digest our food. So 
in Western society and other societies as well, we are constantly stimulated because we're so busy. We are, you know, there's high demand at work, at home, there's stimulation from electronics, there's traffic, all sorts of things that keep us in sympathetic mode sometimes. And so that's why it's important to have balance in our life and learn coping skills to relax. Yoga, breathing, meditation, all these things help to send your nervous system into the parasympathetic system as well. So for this reason, we want to sit down with our food and have little uh, stimulation when we're eating a meal. We want to have a scenario that's mostly, you know, if we're eating by ourselves, just a calm meal, or if we're eating with others, conversation is, is great. But, you know, put your phone away, turn the TV off. Certainly <laughs> don't do what a lot of people do and eat while you work at your desk. That's pretty much the worst thing you can do for your digestive system. Um, yeah, so that is, that is a, that is a big reason why anxiety and worry contribute to poor digestion. It can be so hard to come out of that habit and routine when you have been that person for a long time. And I've talked um, several times on on the Healthy Gut podcast around how I had to implement quite significant change to the way I approached eating and food because I uh, used to say that I thrived on stress. I did my best work when I was stressed. And no wonder I ended up with such a bad digestive system because I never, ever went into a parasympathetic nervous state. I was constantly sitting in that sympathetic system, uh, ready to run, you know, from the woolly mammoth if I'd been back in caveman days. But in the modern world, I just went from one kind of small catastrophe to the next at work. And I thought it was really fun. How can we start to make changes if, if, you know, I know there will be people listening today who will be thinking, well, that's me. How do, how do you advise your patients to start making those changes to, to implement some more of that kind of relaxation in their day? If, if they say to you, you know, Leslie, it's really great that you say I shouldn't be eating at my desk, but I don't get a lunch break. I don't have time to go and eat anywhere else. So if I don't eat my, my desk, I don't have lunch. How can we work around those kind of um, philosophies that people might be holding on to? Right. That's a great question. So one thing that I tell my patients is even if you eat at your desk, just take 10 minutes, at least 10 minutes to close your computer, turn your phone off, off or on silent and turn it over and just take a few deep breaths, put your feet on the ground, both feet flat on your on the floor and try and center yourself and then eat your eat your meal and be grateful for your meal, say a blessing or whatever is aligned with your beliefs and and say this food is beautiful, this food will nourish me and eat your meal. And if you only have 10 minutes to do it, you know, use those 10 minutes, just like I said, and that's fine. You know, that's better than, than eating while you're, you know, on checking your email. Um, and then, you know, for dinner, eat 
if you have, you know, kids, like sit down, eat with your kids, show them that what dinner is should look like. Show them that dinner is sitting down, having conversation, talking about your day. You know, if you have a partner, sit down, have a nice conversation with your partner, be present. Yeah, those are great practices. And just to just for overall stress in your life, like find practices that work for you. You know, if you love yoga, you could do it every day if you want, you know, find ways to bring it home if that's easier. If you love meditation, take 10 minutes in the morning and 10 minutes at night or take 30 minutes in the morning and 30 minutes at night if you have time for that. If walking is what is what works for you, walk every day and that will benefit your health tremendously and your digestion. It does definitely. And I think the key is start start with one thing rather than looking at your current present day and thinking, well, I eat on the run. I eat food in my car when I'm shouting at the, all the idiotic drivers on the road because I'm frustrated by them. Um, I eat my lunch at my desk whilst hunched over my computer. Uh, we watch TV or we're all on our uh, devices at dinner time. No one's talking to each other. Someone might be thinking, I literally do not know where to start. But but I think what hopefully they can take out of our conversation today is pick one thing and start there and then start to incorporate it. Uh, the thing I started with uh, having been that you know uber stressed out um, corporate woman running from this meeting to that meeting was uh, firstly I quit my corporate job and I started to work for myself that was a, a big change but I really made an effort that lunchtime would be the meal mm. I'd focus on first uh, because that was the meal that I ate at my desk for probably you know my whole working life actually, unless I'd gone out for a lunch meeting and then I'd be focusing on the business conversation rather than eating. Um, and so what I did was that I would move myself into just a different room that, and I'd have no electronic devices on and I would do what you said. I'd sit down with my plate of food, uh, really be thankful for it, look at it, smell it, visualize it going in, visualize it healing and helping and nourishing and then I'd eat slowly. So I had to teach myself to slow down the speed at which I put food into my mouth. And so every mouthful, the knife and fork went down. I made myself chew many times. It felt very forced in the early days because it was so unnatural for me to do that. But fast forward three and a bit years since my original SIBO diagnosis, and that's now my common place. So I don't even have to think about it anymore because I put the effort in to change that um, in the early days. And then something I did to really help reinforce that I will not eat at my desk is that I got a standing desk and it doesn't have a lot of desk space on it. So I can't actually put a plate <laughs> or a bowl or anything on it. I can get a cup. That's it. So that's really helped me like completely prevent me from eating at, in front smart. of my computer that's now. So smart. <laughs> Certainly can't eat soup on a desk like that. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's all, sometimes we've got to play tricks on ourselves in the sense of if you know that you're prone to doing something, play a game with yourself where you you change things up. Like I knew I was prone to eating at my desk, so I changed my desk. So if you know that you're prone to, um, you know, perhaps using your electronic devices over dinner, lock them in a cupboard. Like completely take them out of reach so that you can't just, you know, accidentally fall right. back into that habit. Set yourself up for success. Exactly. Um, 
We often hear about serotonin and the importance of serotonin. I'd love for you to talk about what it is and just its involvement with the gut and uh, and why we should be thinking about our serotonin. Sure. So serotonin is a neurotransmitter and it is responsible for, I mean, not, not solely responsible, but it is a happy neurotransmitter. Um, and 10, only 10% of it is actually produced in the brain. So 90% of it is produced in the gut. And certain probiotics are shown to stimulate the conversion of tryptophan to serotonin. So tryptophan's what's in Turkey. And it is also a neurotransmitter. And what it does is it, it's a precursor to serotonin. And there are two types of cell, cells in the gut that, that make this conversion, endocrine cells and neurons in the gut. And the probiotics, um, such as different species of lactobacillus and bifidophilus, um, these kinds of probiotics can stimulate these cells to convert tryptophan to serotonin. Why is that important to us? That is important because if we don't have enough serotonin, it can lead to depression, essentially. So one of the treatments for depression can be probiotics. Which is fascinating. And are there, you've mentioned a couple of probiotics or strains that can be um, useful uh, in converting tryptophan to serotonin. Are there any reasons why we couldn't take them? Um, you know, people, particularly with the big online forums on SIBO, there's a lot of discussion about probiotics and, you know, people trying them. And for some people, it makes them feel worse. What do we need to be mindful of when it comes to trying out probiotics? And should be, we be working with a practitioner to help guide us on which probiotics are effective or, or um important for our particular requirements. Right. So yes, you're so right that SIBO, we do have to be careful about our probiotic intake. And, you know, if you're taking probiotics and they make you more bloated, um, then that certainly is not the right probiotic for you. Sometimes, you know, in patients that do not have SIBO, it can make you a little more gassy for a couple of days, but it should wear off. Um, there are particular probiotic uh, uh, supplements that are for patients with SIBO. One of the ones that we use in our practice is called Lacto Prime Plus, and it is by Claire Labs with a K. And that that one I will give to patients that I suspect might have SIBO or I know that they have SIBO. And what is it about that probiotic that works well with SIBO patients? Rebecca, I wish I could answer that question. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, you've talked about, uh, you know, today we're talking all about that gut-brain axis and you talked about the vagus nerve connecting them. Now, there's a lot of chatter again on, in, the, in the online forums around vagus nerve stimulation and potentially um, if you can work on your vagus nerve that you may be able to help improve recovery from SIBO. Is that true in your experience? You know, Rebecca, I I don't know enough about that question to answer it properly. I know I'm, you know, I've just been in discussions about vagus nerve stimulation, but I'm not sure how to do it and and if it's the proper mechanism for SIBO. 
Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, there's a lot of chatter about gargling, loud oh, right. singing and all the rest, but uh, uh, I'm interested to see if that actually does anything too. <laughs> for a future podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um, in terms of nourishing ourselves, so there's a lot of focus around food that we should be nourishing ourselves. Is there anything that we need to think about when it comes to the gut-brain axis that, you know, are there foods that can be hindering our gut-brain axis or helping our gut-brain axis? Yes. Well, certain foods that are prebiotics are a great way to help the gut-brain axis. So these are things like um, inulin and certain fibers and vegetables and flax meal. These are great prebiotics that you can get pretty easily. Putting um, a teaspoon to a tablespoon of flax meal in your you know, daily smoothie or on your oatmeal, um, these, this is a great thing to do. And taking that a step further, what about nourishing ourselves emotionally or psychologically? Does that then have a, you know, we're thinking about our food going into the gut and then working up to the brain. What about coming down from the brain with what we're, what we're going through emotionally and psychologically? Right. This is a really big deal. And sometimes it's hard for patients to realize this, or it just takes a little while. Um, many people suffer from self-worth issues. And it's nothing to be ashamed of. It's really common. And sometimes we don't even realize it. Often we don't realize it. And the root cause of it can be from maybe an experience during childhood or simply something that was handed down from your parents. Um, and th not that they me meant to hand it down to you, but our parents teach us things that they didn't even mean to teach us sometimes. Like, you know, say we grew up with a parent that uh, put their job ahead of themselves all the time. And so we saw that as the right way to do things. Or one of our parents always put other people's needs ahead of their own needs. And we, we saw that as the right way to do things. We learned that. Um, so, so this can be something to, to reflect upon and just to notice and acknowledge and say to yourself, you know, I'm going to do this differently and start to work on practices of self-love and self-worth. And one of the practices is nourishing our bodies with good, healthy food. Um, and as we do this, we are telling ourselves and we're telling the universe, essentially, that we are deserving of beautiful food and of beautiful things in our life, really. And this will come back to us in great ways, not only in the physical benefits of getting nourished with great food, but also we are essentially manifesting great things in our life if we are putting that out there in the universe. Definitely. And it's such, this is such an important aspect of recovery, I believe. Uh, it was one that I, um, you know, I still do work on with myself. Um, with my SIBO coaching program, we had a um, wonderful psychologist join us for a session and she was talking about the self-worth, self-love messages. 
And something that she said in our webinar, which really struck me, and it has had such a powerful impact on me because it's now something I've incorporated, but it was around choice and choosing to nourish yourself with good, healthy, nutritious food. Rather than focusing on, I'm going to beat this SIBO, I'm going to get it done in three months or a month or whatever the mantra is, you know, I, I, I hate this, it's awful, this stupid condition ruins my life, blah, 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 or then the deprived notions around it's not fair, everybody else gets to eat whatever they want, why do I have to be the one that suffers, why am I the one that has to be the person in the cafe or the restaurant that's saying, excuse me, I can't eat this, that or the other. Um, And I very much experienced that. I was like, oh, the world's against me and it's not fair and I just want to go and eat burgers and fries, even though I just don't normally eat that food anyway. Uh, But she was talking about, you know, choose nourishment. And so every day when it comes to making a choice around the food I eat, I have this little mantra, I choose to nourish myself with the best possible nutrition that I can eat today. And I really approach my food with such warmth and gratitude now. I, you know, I've just been overseas, I've just been in the States and, uh, you know, so traveling makes it difficult to eat the way I, I like to eat because you're on the road. And I yesterday I was at my fresh food market. I filled my bags with just such beautiful colors and all these different plant-based foods and just great produce. And I came home and I was literally like standing in my kitchen looking at what what I'd brought home and I was so gleeful (laughs) about it (laughs) because I was saying to myself look at the great nourishment I've chosen for myself and it can sound a little bit woo-woo but coming from uh, you know for me when I was so down in the dumps and negative about myself about my situation it's a really lovely change and so when I finally sit down to eat that food and I've prepared it I've cooked it all with love, gratitude and happiness, you know, that meal feels like it's got more power in it than if I'd just gone and purchased a meal somewhere. Exactly. Exactly. Let's talk about the self-worth piece a little bit more um, because I also see that this this is a common issue for SIBO patients, particularly female SIBO patients. Uh, We are our own worst enemies sometimes. We often feel like we are not worthy of health. We're not worthy of medical treatment. Uh, We often put ourselves last before everybody else in our family, our life, whatever. Do you have any tips on what you would do with your patients around helping them improve their self-worth? That's a good question, hey? I've got loads more just like this coming up after this break. We'll be back in a moment. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, 
Do you have any tips on what you do with your patients around helping them improve their self-worth? Yes. Well, you know, I talk to them about how we're all born deserving of everything that we need and that we want. And that one of the ways that our self-worth that are, if we have low self-worth, one of the ways that it comes out is that we're putting other people ahead of ourselves or we're putting, you know, our job or whatever it is ahead of ourselves. And it's actually going to benefit not only ourselves, but everyone else. If we put ourselves first and if we take care of ourselves, it's even going to benefit our children. If we put ourselves first and our, 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 our healthiest in our physical body and our mind, then we're going to be more present for them. So it's just like when you're on the airplane and you want to put the oxygen mask over yourself before the child or the other person. So I, t- I teach them about that. And then we talk, we can also talk about, you know, where did this come from and what are the baby steps that we can take to start to improve the self-worth? And one of them is just, you know, giving yourself better food. And what other strategies are there? Because I, I know I've got a lot of mums who listen to the podcast and they are very much in this camp where kids come first, hubby or partner comes first, uh, everything else comes first. And a common thing I hear almost daily from people that contact me is, mm-hmm. I don't have the time for me. How do we make the time for me as the as busy working mothers, women, or and there are guys out there that are in the same boat, but I do see it more right. commonly so, with women. You know, if it's only on the weekends that you can find a little bit, a couple of hours, just to start, and you know, go to a yoga class or even just go to a movie, just do something that you enjoy. And for moms, it's often t- that they need time just by themselves to do something, um, and. That couple of hours on the weekend, you know, ask their spouse or parent or a friend to watch the kids. Um, And if that's not possible, hire a babysitter. It is worth it. It's worth it. So, you know, once a week on a Saturday, do that. And if you have time, a couple of evenings um, to get out and do something that's good for yourself during the week, that's great too. And do an experiment where you're doing that for, you know, two or three weeks and just see the effects. They will be. Incredible. I have a client uh, who was in a very similar boat where she said, you know, I just don't have time. I'm busy. I run my own business. I've got, you know, my kids keep me very busy. Um, I've got to do everything. And one of the activities that we integrated into her life was around getting her kids into the kitchen with her. So to share the burden, and this is what I often talk about with my coaching clients is, you know, you don't need to carry the burden completely on your shoulders. There are other people in your house, if you live with other people, of course, um, who can help they're not completely <laughs> incapable of assisting. Uh, and it's a really, especially when you've got kids, I think it can be great to get them in the kitchen and teaching them about good quality nutrition so that they have a great life skill when they grow up, move out, and that they're able to cook uh, for themselves. And this client of mine uh, reported back to me and said, you know, it's really wonderful. My kids are now cooking with me we're having lots of fun rather than me feeling really stressed about dinner times. Um, all the kids have participated in preparing the food. 
They're really invested in it. They're really enjoying it. And I've had some quality time with my kids while still doing something that I needed to do in the house. And that was a really great way for her to incorporate some sort of new techniques in her in her life. That's super cool. Yeah, that's fantastic. And then the kids are learning such great values and they, you know, it's actually easier to get them to eat vegetables when they're, they're helping you prepare them. Exactly. <laughs> I've often wondered around a gut feeling or gut reaction and whether that is indeed a thing or whether it's just a saying, what's your views on, you know, our gut reactions or gut feelings for something? Is that actually coming from our gut or what's happening? Well, sometimes when we're struggling to come to terms with something new and we're struggling to digest it, that struggle can live inside us and we can feel a tension in our gut. And your gut is where you digest things, obviously. And your liver, which is also part of gut health, is where you metabolize things. So it's no coincidence that these words digest and metabolize are used to describe how we process ideas. So sometimes I find that when people are having difficulty processing ideas, they are, it, it shows up in their gut really easily. And another reaction sort of like that is um, when people are holding on to emotions, they're suppressing their emotions. You know, they're having trouble saying no, or they're, um, you know, there's something that they would be great for them to say, but they just are too scared about the confrontation. Then I find that that these people, that there's a tie between that and constipation. Just like people are holding in their bowels, they're also holding in their emotions and ideas. So, you know, I tell these people, you know, say what you want to say, let it out, say no when you need to say no, tell someone how you were feeling. The more you do it, the easier it gets. And this can change their constitution to where they're not somebody that's prone to constipation anymore. I mean, of course we're doing physical therapies as well, but you know, it's part of the emotional healing. That's really interesting. Uh, And what about people that have swing on the other end of the spectrum with diarrhea? Do you see any correlation with people that experience regular diarrhea and emotional Mm, state? So if someone's, hyped up or anxious, their nervous system's really stimulated. You can see diarrhea or loose stools with that. Um, similarly, when somebody is, has gone through that and then they enter a stage of fatigue, I also see like chronic loose stools or diarrhea with, with, with that state as well. It's like they're too tired to hold on to their bowels. Hmm. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I'm a I've always been a chronically constipated person and uh, and I've experienced significant emotional trauma in my life and it really makes sense that I would be holding on uh, almost like a self-protection mechanism to kind of everything's tight, everything's kind of locked in, protecting my body. Um, and I've only recently started doing work on, you know, I've only recently discovered I have adhesions and I've found a great visceral mobilization therapist here in Australia. And her comment to me was, wow, you are so stiff. Everything is just locked, completely locked. It's like, you know, nothing in your body is moving 
properly, not just in your abdomen, but everywhere. And, um, you know, it makes a lot of sense. Like I've just been locked up, (laughs) (laughs) protecting. (laughs) Do you see that with patients that, uh, you know, if they've had emotional trauma, be it through stress, divorce, abuse, relationship breakdowns, whatever, that their, their whole bodies kind of just get a bit locked up? Certainly. There can be like an overall tension, um, which can show itself in, you know, muscle tension, tight muscles, or a tense abdomen, um, or headaches, migraines, that sort of thing. Uh, it can also be, it can also show up in a fatigue or fibromyalgia picture where it's been shown that, um, that most patients that have fibromyalgia have had a, or a chronic illness have had a childhood trauma. And, you know, the trauma just, it's basically, if it's not resolved or not, you know, someone um, hasn't had therapy or, you know, the trauma wasn't recognized, it's definitely going to have more severe of a physical impact on the patient at that time and later. So it affects the body on a cellular level. It can impact the way our mitochondria work, and the mitochondria are responsible for producing energy for the cell. So it's no wonder that these patients can have things like chronic fatigue syndrome and fibromyalgia. I'm also interested to know if you see with your patients that are uh, chronically constipated, perhaps there's been trauma in their life, if that then, again, thinking about this gut-brain axis, does that then impact brain function in terms of ability to think? So are they more closed off in their thinking than perhaps more free and open? And I'm wondering if you, you may not have seen this, but I'm wondering if there is that correlation between what happens with the body and then what also can happen with the mind. Right. Well, well, something like constipation, um, theoretically, it causes inflammation in the gut, and that will send signals to the to the brain. You know, whether it's causing you to have brain fog or <clears throat> mood issues, um, it depends. But certainly, inflammation in the gut can cause issues in the brain, and just like we were talking about with serotonin production. That's if the gut is not healthy, then the gut is not going to produce the right amount of a proper amount of serotonin or other neurotransmitters like GABA, which helps us relax. Um, so there are many ways that that gut health will impact our emotional health and the brain. So what what's your sort of advice to the listeners if they're listening going, wow, that is me. What do I do next? How do we go about kind of resolving or treating some of these issues? Um, are you speaking directly to trauma? or? Well, if let's say we've got the picture of the person that's the chronically constipated person. They've perhaps had some trauma. Their body's tight and stiff, and they're and they've got SIBO because most of my listeners definitely have SIBO. They fall into that category. Um, what should we would be? What should we be doing? Treating the SIBO first? Should we be going and having some perhaps some psychological support? How do you um, help your patients? Kind of develop a path forward. Sure. Well, there, you know, there's many, um, when it comes to gut issues like SIBO, we're going to use various uh, vectors of therapy at 
the same time or eventually we're going to use various kinds. And it's really meeting the patient where they are. What are they ready to do? Are they ready to make big dietary changes and go on a diet that is great for SIBO? Or are they, do they need to um, have, feel more uplifted and balanced in their emotional health before they can make those changes? Sometimes, sometimes the emotional health needs to come first and sometimes the dietary uh, practices need to come first. So that's a big one that I, that I am helping the patient kind of we're ironing that out in the first visit. Like, where do we, we where do we need to start? Um, and then in addition to those things, we're, we're helping them get on board with any supplementation they need, maybe some cod liver oil or the proper probiotics, um, perhaps some, some herbal supplementation or homeopathy. Um, and then, you know, are they ready to make lifestyle changes, like learning some uh, stress reduction um, practices. So it really just depends on the patient where, where the best place to start is. I think the best place to start is where they are most motivated and excited about, you know, if they're thinking, wow, I really could use some talk therapy at this time. That's the place to start. Or if they've, you know, they saw their neighbor go like make this huge dietary change and they did great. And now they're really inspired to do that. That's the place to start. I think that's so important that we start where we feel the most excited to start rather than, you know, perhaps looking at what people write on these big forums online and thinking, oh, well, they're doing blah, 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 whatever it is. And oh, well, maybe I should be doing that, but I don't want to, or I'm scared by it. Uh, I think, you know, that's such an important takeaway message um, that it's really about tuning in what excites you, what interests you, what makes you happy, uh, what do you want to do next? Um, yeah, I think that's, that's great advice. And then once, once somebody has made some, some um, pro- progress with one avenue, they generally are feeling up for another one. You know, they want to continue the self-growth and the healing. It's so true. It is so much easier to keep moving forward when you've had a little bit of success somewhere else uh, because you can, it builds a little bit of confidence. You feel motivated. You can see improvement. And, uh, you know, it really spurns you on to keep going. Exactly. Dr. Leslie Myers, it's been great to have you on the Healthy Gut podcast today. If anybody would like to reach out and connect with you, what's the best place or how should they do that? Well, our website is Waterleaf Naturopathic Medicine and actually it's waterleafnaturopathic.com. I'm sorry. And our phone number in the States is 828-505-0402. And to schedule an appointment or at least a meet and greet with me, um, you can do it on either the online port on at our website or by calling. Wonderful. And that those details are in the show notes as well. So make sure you head to them to, to connect with Dr. Myers. But thank you so much for coming on the show today, talking about the gut brain axis. And, uh, and, you know, I've just, I found it fascinating, particularly the, the discussion around, uh, you know, what our bowels are doing and what that might indicate is going on (laughs) with our past experiences. That's so interesting. (laughs) But thank you so much for coming on. It is interesting. 
Thank you so much for having me. It was a lot of fun. And I think this is a great podcast and I love what you're doing. Well, I'm so happy to hear that. And it's my absolute pleasure to bring it out to people because as a fellow uh, SIBO patient, as many of my listeners are, I just think it's so important that we share all sorts of information around digestive health so that we can all be empowered to make positive changes in our own health. And if an episode like this is that missing link for you, then, you know, that makes my life feel worthwhile by doing this podcast and uh, and having guests like you come on the show today. So thanks for those very kind words. Of course. It was my pleasure to be on the show. I hope you enjoyed today's show with Dr. Leslie Mayer. It's so interesting learning more about that gut-brain axis. Don't forget, guys, that you can get the full transcription from today's show and all episodes in Season 2 of the Healthy Gut Podcast. You just need to become a member. It's free to join and you get access to all of the transcriptions. So head to thehealthygut.com forward slash podcast to sign up today. And it would mean the world to me if you could go into Apple Podcasts or the app you use to listen to this podcast and leave a five-star rating and review. Not only does it help me to know that I'm recording the right kind of information for you, but it helps other SIBO patients know that this is the right podcast for them to learn more about their condition. And come say hi to us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Pinterest, and Twitter. We're on all the big platforms and we absolutely love hearing from you. And it's a great way to ask questions, ask information about recipes and all things SIBO. You've been listening to the Healthy Gut Podcast with your host, Rebecca Coombs. To learn more about the Healthy Gut or our podcast, head to thehealthygut.co forward slash podcast. We would like to thank Red Lemon Productions for the production and original music score of this podcast. To find out more about their services, head to redlemonproductions.com. The Healthy Gut Podcast is a production of The Healthy Gut. Thanks for listening. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.